You know why I'm so passionate about Music to Code By? Because it works. I'm still getting a steady stream of success stories from developers just like you who sail effortlessly through hours of coding. There's only one problem. They can't get enough. Well, not only are we up to track 13, but you can download them all in one shot for a new low price. The collection was 54 bucks just a little while ago, still only a little more than 4 bucks a track, but now you can get all 13 for only 39 bucks. That's only 3 bucks a track. Yeah, that's more like it. 325 minutes of pure bliss. Go get it now at collection.musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1337, with guest Chris Sells. Recorded Friday, July 15th, 2016. Hey, guess what? It's .NET Rocks, one more time. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're here for your pleasure. An old friend is back, Chris Sells. We're going to be talking to him and see what he's up to. Well, you know by the title that he's at Google, so we'll we'll talk about what's going on there with him. And uh, how are you, Mr. Campbell? I am, uh, you know, through the magic of time shifting, I am less than 24 hours away from heading off on my Arctic expedition. But uh, this show comes out after that's already back. So wow. I'll either, you may be listening to me after I'm dead. Who knows? Oh, well. He, he was a nice man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but there you go. <laughs> well, I'm just so excited to uh, talk about what we got new, and it relates to Chris, oddly enough. Yes. So, roll the music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? All right, so what I have has to do with Chris Sells in two ways. Number one, it's about YouTube, and Chris works at Google, and Google owns right. YouTube. All right. Second of all, uh, it's the first podcast that we have made into a YouTube video and put on YouTube, and it's show 100, where Chris Sells was a guest. Nice. Along with Rory Blythe and... Nick Landry and... Uh, As I recall, Rory didn't actually make it to the show. I think you're right. We did play some clips of him. Yes. At that show. The one where you... And the only reason I know all this is I listened to it when we were testing it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> You, you brought up a piece where you had pre-recorded some conversation with some Microsoft people to do an announcement, and you didn't tell Rory. That's right. And then you start playing a thing, and you're like, hey, guys. And they say, hey, and off it goes. And, and Rory's uh, like, why don't you say hi to me? It's like, uh, it's a recording, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It was kind of funny. So anyway, um, we're, it's a hilarious show, actually. Go back and listen to it. So we have a new YouTube channel where we're going to be putting up videos um, for all of our shows, hopefully, starting with the most recent, we wanted to put up 100 just as a test, but you can listen to and watch the graphic because there's no video really at 1337.pwop.me. 
And uh, if YouTube is how you get your podcasts, then have at it. But our channel is going to be and is at yt.netrocks.com. So yt for YouTube dot dot netrocks.com. That'll take you to our YouTube channel and you can have a ball there. And not that we're necessarily planning on making video, although who no. knows? Yeah. But there's just, you know, everybody's got a YouTube player now. And right. so it's kind of convenient if it's there just to be able to play it rather than have to battle through the podcasting channel. Yeah, exactly. And you can subscribe to YouTube videos too. And like the whole thing just kind of works. So yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure right. Chris is happy about that too, but we'll, we'll talk to him in a minute. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of Chris's last show, show 897 what? from August of 2013. So almost three years ago on the nose. Oh, that's embarrassing. And he was in a different role back then as mm. a Telerit guy. And the show was really about TypeScript and, and talking about different ways of building software. Of course, Chris involved with WinJS and all that good stuff. This comment comes from Eric, who says, uh, I'm always a fan of Chris Sells, even if he's gone nuts and decided to live on a houseboat. Doesn't the river stink like poo? Oh, no. I believe the houseboat phase has come and gone. Uh, this is three years ago. Yeah. At the end of the podcast, he mentioned that he was working on something where he could use one set of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript to target three mobile platforms, iOS, Android, Windows, phone, and Windows 8, three years ago before Windows 10, and the internet. Is there something that he's doing through Telerik or on his blog? Because I don't find a link on the blog. It's like, I'm pretty sure he's talking about native script from mm -hmm. Telerik. Yeah. So, you know, that's what that evolved into. But, right. yeah, that's what he's talking about, Eric. And, uh, yeah, we're a fan of Chris Sells, too. Big time. Even if he did go crazy and live on a houseboat. And a stinky harbor. <laughs> so, Eric, <laughs> thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook, and if you comment there or read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And send us a tweet. We plug the holes in our houseboats with him. So, that brings us to Chris. His bio this time is... And I quote, Chris Sells has been a software engineer of one kind or another since he was 14 years old. He's worked at Intel and Microsoft, has started his own companies, has written a dozen books, given countless conference talks, and has done everything from QA to developer, consultant to VP, technical support to CTO, chief architect to conference organizer. Currently, Chris is the lead product manager for developer tools on Google's cloud platform. Welcome, Chris. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Having a damn googly good time over there, are you? We were talking before the show, and it turns out that Google is a fabulous place to work. And I think the phrase I used when we were talking was, turns out I've always been a Googler. I just didn't know it until I got here. That's awesome. Nice. And it's because it's an engineering culture, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, lots of people hear about how fabulous Google is. And of course, we're well known for being one of the best places to work in the world. All the stories people hear are true, but that's not the thing that makes it such a fabulous place to work. It's an amazing culture. The people I get to work with are the smartest on the planet, but they're also nice and they care. They do no evil. Well, no, uh, I mean, you they know. They aspire it, to do no evil. There you go. I mean, it's a corporation still, let's be clear, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> 
but they're engineers at heart, right? So that they care mostly about building the right thing for our customers. It's amazing. It is a, it's a wonderful place to work. So cool. That's cool. And the Google Cloud. So we talked to Brad Abrams very early on about what you guys were doing in your cloud platform. And I guess there's some news. What, what's going on with Google Cloud these days? Well, so um, Google Cloud is expanding in all directions. The big news recently is last year we brought on Diane Green, who's well known for being one of the chief people at VMware and making that just a powerhouse when it comes to the enterprise. And then she took her stock and she retired and she liked to walk her dog until she was walking her dog with one of the very first employees at Google. Google. Mm. His name is Orz, and he kind of runs all of IT information technology here at Google. He's like employee number eight. He's been he's been here forever, and he talked her into coming to Google to actually run all of our cloud stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, um, all of that kind of Google Docs and all of that, as well as all of the infrastructure and the platform as a service stuff that I work on. Now she is here and she is very enterprise focused. And of course, with all my experience in Windows, that was all for the enterprise. Mm -hmm. It's a very comfortable place for me to be right now as we take all of the amazing technology on the Google Cloud and focus that on the enterprise and and big business, which is a big deal. And as part of that, I'm including .NET Rocks in kind of the launch, a launch announcement uh, for a series of products that we're doing for Windows and .NET developers that I'm super proud of. Wow. But before I get to that, I kind of wanted to tell you the story of, you know, I came to Google. Okay. Right? You hear all those good things about Google, and they came looking for me, and I interviewed at Google. Although I have to be honest, the reason I interviewed at Google is because I'd seen the internship like three times. The movie. Yes, that <laughs> movie. I wanted to see it. If they really had meetings on six-person bicycles that they rode around campus. So uh, it was like a free tour of the Mountain View campus of Google. And by the way, they actually do that. <laughs> I didn't see Vince Vaughn. That was, that was kind of a disappointment. But the rest oh. is pretty much true. And then they came through with an offer I just couldn't refuse to come and work on the cloud tooling. And so I moved to Seattle a couple of years ago with my family. And the interesting thing, I was like, okay, you know, uh, I did the math. I'd been a contributing member of the community for like 23 years. I mean, it was forever. Mm. All those things that you mentioned in my bio were all things I did in the Windows world. And so I thought, okay, I'll get rid of my Windows PC. I'll come and I'll immerse myself in cloud and it'll be Linux. And I'll have a Macintosh at my desk and a Linux uh, box under my desk. And I'll just, I'll just start over. Right. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll I'll start over because, you know, that's fun. I like to do that. And in my role with the developer tooling, of course, I spend a bunch of time doing the Linux based stuff. Sure. We support languages uh, across Linux and Windows, as I as I found out. And when I got here, I found out that, hey, not only does the Google Cloud do a really good job with Linux, but it's also got a great Windows offering. In fact, we have 
ex-Microsoft employees from the kernel team, the Windows kernel team, here building support for our Windows Server products. How cool is that? So I don't have permission to give the names of those people, but (laughs) (laughs) that means that we have great support for Windows Server 2008 R2 and 2012 R2. And we've had lots of great customer feedback from people who have come from other cloud providers that have tried our stuff and Mm -hmm. found it to be very fast and very robust. They've been very happy with it. And that's kind of been the base. And so I found that out. And then Microsoft started doing some of that cross-platform.net stuff. Yeah, did you ever think that would happen? No, never (laughs) in a million years. (laughs) That took me by surprise uh, in a big way. Are they reference counting yet? Because that's your litmus <laughs> test, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So C Sharp is still not uh, reference counting. Ah, oh, someday. Uh. We still need iDisposable. We still need the using blocks. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of built into how you think about it these days. So anyway, I got here and I had given up all the Windows stuff and I realized that we did Windows, but we didn't have the full Windows end to end because just supporting Windows as a server operating system, you know, Windows developers, .NET developers need a lot more than that, right? They need, they need um, Visual Studio plugins. They need libraries and NuGet. They need PowerShell commandlets. Mm. And so I started kind of experimenting with that and, you know, experimenting with .NET Core. Well, it had another name back then, right? But mm-hmm. it's .NET Core today and running yep. that on our various platforms in Linux and in Docker and containers. And I started kind of asking questions. And then I ran into a crazy engineering director with some engineers that wanted to do some Windows stuff. And before I knew it, I'd kind of accidentally started a .NET Windows tooling team. Wow. (laughs) What have you done? And you know know, Chris, you're just the guy to do that at Google, though. I mean, if not you, who? Well, that that turned out to be the case, and um, I've now I've given up my Linux machine, I've given up my Macintosh, I run a ThinkPad, their X1 Carbon, which I love, by the way, and I do all of my Google work for all of the cloud from my Windows laptop to make sure that we're supporting Windows just as well as we're supporting Linux. And so the thing that I'm announcing today is that for the first time ever. Google is releasing a set of handwritten client libraries for an initial set of our cloud APIs. We're announcing our first ever Visual Studio plugin to help deploy and manage your Google Cloud Platform um, resources. And I'm announcing a set of PowerShell commandlets, an initial set to be able to manage your GCP resources. Are you still friends with Guthrie? (laughs) (laughs) You guys still talk? Of course. This isn't seen as any kind of competitive move. Is Microsoft happy about it? Um, you know that Google and Microsoft are separate companies, right? I sure do. So it's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot of things that are okay. And I just wonder, you know, the cloud is sort of where Microsoft is betting the farm on for their existence. And Google certainly does a good job of it, too. And I just wondered if the atmosphere between you two companies is still friendly. Well, in fact, it's funny you say that. I talk to the Visual Studio guys on a regular basis. I talk to the PowerShell guys on a regular basis. I try to be friendly. I think I'm perceived as friendly. Hmm. We definitely have lots of dealings. For example, we both work on the Kubernetes technology. That's right. Yeah. Didn't Brendan Burns go over to uh, Microsoft? 
Yes, Brendan Burns, who started Kubernetes at Google, is now at Microsoft. Of course, at the Angular team up on stage at a recent Microsoft convention. So, you know, Google yeah. and Microsoft work together in a lot of ways. That's so good to hear. Oh, certainly. You bet. My favorite um, Google-Microsoft competition was IE Chrome. I mean, I honestly, the world of JavaScript was evolved in those two years around the IE9 timeframe when Chrome was growing up where they sort of went back and forth, just trying to go faster and faster and faster and faster. They used to send each other's cakes when they had new releases. Like it, it was very much that coopetition kind of mindset. But the Chakra engine and the V8 engine came out of that. Node wouldn't exist without that amazing drive to make JavaScript a fast, powerful language. Interesting, too, because it was at that moment when the world said, okay, JavaScript might not be the best language ever invented, but it's absolutely everywhere, and you can yes. do absolutely anything with it, right? Adwood's law applies, right? Anything that can be done in JavaScript will be. And, mm. and now we have Google Docs, which is all JavaScript, and you yeah. know Office 365, which is all JavaScript. And the idea that you wouldn't build your client front ends for the web with JavaScript is foreign to us at this point. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Google Docs. I use it. And I use Office 365, too. They're a little bit different, but uh, I used Google Docs first, you know, so that tends to be where a lot of my documents are. I'll tell you, I mean, Google runs on Google Docs. I got here and I was used to writing Word documents and storing them on my local hard drive yeah. and sending around email attachments, yeah, right? And then, no good. you know, collating the comments back into the main central copy and rinse, repeat. Here, it, because everything runs on Google Docs, you write a doc and you send out a link yep. and then the margin becomes a forum yep. for everyone to participate and have conversations and resolve things. And anytime you want to add something, somebody, you just plus them into the conversation. It shows up in their inbox and they know that they're wanted in this conversation. And it's amazing. Richard and I wrote a PowerPoint presentation over the phone in Google Docs. You know, we worked on it at the same time. And you know how it highlights Richard's doing this and working yeah. on this slide and Carl's working it's on this amazing. slide. amazing. Yeah. In fact, before I got to Google, I was in the habit of, I was stuck in traffic, right? I'd send myself emails with stuff that should eventually end up in a doc. Now on my phone, I can just open up a doc and start typing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Just don't crash. <laughs> this is the stuck in traffic, not the flowing nicely through traffic. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. The Google Cloud has supported .NET for some time, right? You, you could have always been able to put your .NET app out there. So we have supported Windows in GA since the end of 2015. So, you know, real supported Windows Server instances on Google Compute Engine is relatively new. And as part of that, we have a technology called the Cloud Launcher. And the Cloud Launcher is kind of our image marketplace. Hey, I want, you know, an image with ASP.NET on it. Can you just stamp it out for me and give me a Compute Engine instance running, you know, Windows Server and IIS and ASP.NET and all the right ports opened and all of that. And we have, you know, hundreds of those. ASP.NET is one of them. Right. You know, we had built initial support, but until, you know, that, that tooling team was formed and started kind of making sure that when you were inside of Visual Studio and you say, file new project, I want an ASP.NET app, 
build it locally, bring in some Google libraries via NuGet, and then deploy, mm -hmm. we hadn't really made sure that that whole cycle really worked because we didn't have, you know, folks building the tools and making sure that the end-to-end -end was solid. Yeah, so what you were doing before was relying on people to build their apps, test it locally, maybe FTP it up to the Google Cloud, run it, test it up there just by however you can possibly do that. We didn't make sure the web deploy protocol underneath was really working and solid and mm. that we had the right permissions on those images so that you could run the Google APIs from your ASP.NET apps. And all of that has now been fixed. And we built in a bunch of helpers, too. Uh, we have what we call the Google Cloud Explorer, which is a tab, a side window in uh, Visual Studio so that you can log in with any number of credentials. You can see all your projects. You can see all of the instances across all the Google zones of your various Windows server instances yeah. or ASP.NET specific server instances. You can start them, you can stop them, you can say right-click and say, hey, I just want to RDP into this. And we'll just start up an RDP instance and let you go right into it. Or you can right-click and say, hey, I'm going to change the password right here. Of a large class of problems, you kind of just want to do it as you're working inside of Visual Studio. You don't want to have to go to the web. And so we've built all that stuff in. And that includes not just compute instances, it includes storage and your storage buckets for a specific project, and it includes your cloud SQL instances. So you can right-click on an instance of our managed MySQL that runs on the cloud platform and say, hey, I want a data connection to this. And it will fill in the dialogue. And then now you can browse it with the server explorer and you know write SQL statements against it all inside of Visual Studio, just the way you would expect. So awesome. Really interesting. And we're just getting started. I mean, to be fair, this, we're releasing the beta. These are our initial set of resource management, our initial set of libraries, our initial set of PowerShell commandlets. But this is really the start of a conversation. It turns out all of those things we're building, all three of those things I just mentioned, are, are open source and available on GitHub. And so we're happy to take contributions. We're happy to take bug reports and feature requests. This is really the start of a conversation with our .NET Windows customers on the Google Cloud Platform. For those Azure people or, you know, people who don't have experience with Google Cloud, we might know that, you know, Amazon sort of is that sort of, you know, hardware as a service, software as a service, and uh, Azure is a little more platform as a service, has some more high-level things. Where does the Google Cloud sort of fit in that, you know, or at least where's the vision of Google Cloud in that spectrum? Sure. So Google Cloud has the full range of infrastructure as a service and platform as a service and big data support and machine learning. Turns out we've got a wide range of services on the Google Cloud platform. And, and those services run on the very same data centers that Google.com runs on and YouTube runs on. And this whole set of services, we're using the same networking, the same services. The infrastructure as a service, we have something called called Compute Engine. Compute Engine is kind of, hey, I want a virtual machine in the sky. Mm. And that's a number of Linux distributions and the Windows server instances yeah. I mentioned earlier. And you can just say, I want a new one, and boom, it'll spin up in you know 60 seconds or so. Is there a lot of Go behind the scenes? As it turns out, lots of Googlers like Go for a yeah. lot of reasons. There's a lot of Go going on. Um, it's probably one of the fastest growing languages used at Google is Go. And maybe one of the fastest languages. <laughs> in general, it is, yeah. Yeah, we talked to Anthony Eden about uh, building DN Simple. And he built it in Go just because the performance was off the hook. 
Yeah, you hear a lot of people moving from other languages to Go and just hearing crazy speedups, like 10x, 100x in terms of mm. increase in performance and decrease in memory usage. And even from version to version, right? Mm. I mean, going from 1.5 to 1.6 was a huge speed up. And they just keep making it faster and faster. You were asking about like the various services, right? We've got Compute Engine, which is, you mm-hmm. know, virtual machines. We've got, um, Platform as a Service, which is our App Engine product. And we've mm-hmm. got two flavors of those. One is kind of a sandbox with a set number of languages that we call, um, the standard environment for App Engine. And one is the flexible environment. And this is new. And you can put essentially anything that runs in a Docker container. And that includes .NET Core and includes mm-hmm. Java, includes Python, includes whatever you want to put into a Docker container. Container runs and is scaled up for you as your load needs increase. Well, you'll actually get more instances of your app running kind of in a seamless way. And that's kind of what App Engine provides. And that's what the promise of platform the service is. As a matter of fact, um, App Engine has been around for nine years. Google actually invented the idea of platform as a service because that's very close to how we do things internally. We, we tend to think of things as, as nodes and clusters and, and apps as opposed to specific Machines. And in fact, mm. the thing that's most closely modeled on what we do internally, what we do internally is called Borg, which is <laughs> ironic given, you know, where I'm from at Microsoft, yeah, right? Right? <laughs> right. But we have this, this thing called Borg, which is essentially, Hey, I have uh, a set of nodes and I have this, this code that I want to run across those nodes. And that's how we run, you know, batch jobs. That's how we run Google.com. That's how we run YouTube.com, right? It, it runs on Borg. These are Borg jobs. So one says to the other, you will be assimilated, and then <laughs> resistance is futile, and they merge. <laughs> it's funny. I, I don't know where the name comes from. It yeah. kind of goes against that whole we'll do no evil thing, but I don't want to comment anymore <laughs> on that. Um, it's just a collective resource thing, right? Like, that's it's, it's okay. It's just, you know, we're all getting along, working together. Is this how Google has always run? Like, are we just being exposed to the internal infrastructure of Google and now we're able to use it for our own stuff? Well, that's actually an amazing question. It turns out that, you know, we have an open source technology. Again, this is Kubernetes. Right. And we have a hosted version of Kubernetes at Google called the Container Engine. So you can just walk up to the Container Engine and say, hey, I'd like a cluster. I'd like this many nodes on it. And here's, let me tell you a little bit about how I want those nodes to be configured and you make it happen. And then I can say, here's my code. Here's my job. Run mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can hook up naming services. You can actually deploy something called a pod, which is kind of a set of persistent disks and containers that scale up and down together and are replicated together and and can talk to each other. And this is the open source version. That's what Brendan Burns did. He essentially built an open source version of Borg and gave it to the world. Interesting. That's what Kubernetes is, and that's what the hosted container engine is. And it's interesting. I didn't know this until I got here, but Docker, because, of course, it's all based around Docker containers. Docker containers is essentially a set of development tools built around hooks that have been in Linux for 10 years. Hmm. And they were put into Linux 10 years ago by Google so that they could run Borg jobs. Wow. Right? These are hooks that Google has been running container-based software using these same Docker container hooks for a decade. Wow, that's awesome. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, you know it, man. It's time to massage a little Kubernetes into my Docker and wrap it up in an Elasticsearch. Ooh, you can get a cream for that. Well, yeah, that's why I need a little Kubernetes. 
<laughs> hey, uh, it's actually time to give away a D experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Gustavo Martins. Congratulations, Gustavo. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Gustavo. And Gustavo just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at Developer Express. And if you don't know what we just did here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. Chris Sells, it's your turn, my friend. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Oh, I would definitely get myself both the HTC Vibe, that's yeah. that's the VR hotness, and then I'd have to carve out a 15 by 15 room to use it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was on the Oculus Rift Kickstarter, and they were generous enough to send me one when they went to you know, a release when they went to their first consumer version. Yeah. And that was a very happy afternoon playing with that, but it was pretty clear. It was still one Oh, yeah. Right. It's the wire that connects mm. um, to the PC that really ruined it for me. Every time I turn or move, I'd feel that it would kind of, it would kind yeah. of break things for me. But except for that, you know, sitting in a cockpit um, <laughs> of a space fighter, you know, sh- shooting lasers at other ones and then looking over my shoulder as they went over me. I mean, that was pretty magical. Flying around a island of mountains. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun swimming with sharks. Yeah. Yeah. So the Oculus is great. And I've heard the vibe is even better. And again, it's because of that kind of freedom of movement. And of course, if I'm going to get a vibe, I also have to get one of those backpack computers. Right. Have right. you seen these? Because the yeah. Vive has a tether as well. So you'll need to yes. bring the computer yes. with you. Seen the HoloLens? Yeah. I have seen the HoloLens. I find it hard to enjoy when I can only look through it through the size of an index card. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, I, when, I, when I can't see the whole menu without moving my head, it's not quite ready. Yep. I agree. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the next rev of hardware on that one. I suspect the field of view will expand. I assume you're right. Um, but on the other hand, the HoloLens is exactly the kind of thing you want, right? Mm. I mean, you want this augmented reality. Yeah. I mean, as hard as it is and as long as it's taken us to get here, VR is the easy problem to solve. VR is good for immersive <laughs> experiences, right? Obviously. Yeah. I mean, it yep. sounds a little obvious to say it. But, yeah, if you want to transport somewhere and, you know, that's fine. But um, and, and they've tried to do – the HoloLens has tried to do mixed versions of that where – like they have these hollow tours where you can go to Machu Picchu and you got to look around and you can only see an index card at a time, but you know, yeah. and then you yeah. see your kitchen table or whatever. So, yeah. I was going to say the augmented reality, right? That's the hard part. Cause not only does it project information that you see, but it has to do it in a way that it makes it look like a real object yeah. in, you know, overlaid on top of a world of real That's object. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, it cares about the space that it's in. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that's but that's where we're going, right? I mean, yeah. that's the next computing platform. Of course, Google's got technology going on in that space as well. Oh, sure. And there's so much to do in that space. I have friends who work for Valve who, you know, are are driving the Vive. And they're saying, like, we just have to rethink gaming in general. Everybody presumes VR is great for gaming. But it's like, as soon as you simulate running in a VR space, everybody's nauseous. You can't do it. Yeah, I was reading the other day that they have some guy that tests things. And so, you know, whenever they build a new kind of experience, they have this guy and a bucket. And if he has to use the bucket, then they're not done. Hmm. And uh, if he doesn't puke, they know that they have implemented it successfully. And this is a guy who races dragon boats, so he's not like a wuss. He's just kind of sensitive to that kind of thing. And different people have different sensitivity. I didn't have any trouble, thank goodness, with nauseousness when I was on my Oculus Rift. Yeah, I had a conversation last night with a neighbor saying the visor and just describing it as a visor is like, yeah. and they're like, well, but you look so dorky. It's like, you know what? Walking around with a cell phone in your hand is dorky too. I don't know. Yeah. you didn't care. We had mainframes. We had PCs. We had the web, we have mobile, and then this is the fifth one, right? Yeah. This is the fifth yep. wave of, sure of computing platform. I don't know. I thought Jordy LaForge's visor looked pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> you get me one of those, you know, uh, I look a little like Grace Jones, but that's all right. I could use a little <laughs> Grace Jones. <laughs> but I, I love this idea that once the technology is compelling enough that you have completely indifferent to other people's opinions, then it becomes socially acceptable. Yeah, and Bluetooth earpieces never crossed that boundary. They never did. No. Chris, did you get a chance to go back and listen to, aka watch uh, the YouTube video of Show 100? I dug in. It was funny. You sent it around, and yeah. I immediately pulled it up, of course. I went to what I thought was the timestamp you wanted me to go to. It turns out it wasn't. <laughs> but the timestamp I ended up was Rory singing about me not having any pants. That's right. <laughs> dance, dance, dance. He's not wearing any pants. And this was based on a story that you told about, what, going to Burning Man in a kilt or something? Yes, exactly right. I had spent a week that summer in Burning Man, and I wanted to fit in, right? <laughs> so I had, you know, I couldn't go in normal street clothes, right? It looked like no. a, a geek. So, you know, I had my army jacket and my goggles to keep dust out and my kilt and for those who don't know chris he's a tall man like chris in a kilt at burning man is kind of funny in and of itself isn't it <laughs> as it turned out i was still the most straight-laced guy there my, <laughs> me, my kilts didn't hold a candle to what other people were wearing it didn't even come close or if they were wearing anything yeah yeah, that was, uh, they had, um, I remember they had three daily newspapers at Burning Man. Um, that's how big it was, 30,000 people. Wow. And in one of them, they had a front page story that said, no Donald Duck. And it was a picture of a guy with a shirt and no pants. <laughs> <laughs> Strange. And I think, uh, Burning Man's a bit more commercial now than when you, when you went, Chris. Well, you know, even when I was there, they had a family camp, and I'm like, okay, they've sold out at this point. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, it's quite the big machine now. You're not going to have the same experience. All right. No, I want to hear about more go uh, .NET goodness on the Google Cloud. What else can we say? 
One thing I will say is I talked about Cloud SQL, which is essentially our hosted managed version of MySQL, which is one of the most popular databases in the world. But of course, for .NET developers, one of the other most popular databases in the world, argue much more popular than MySQL among, among the Windows.NET crowd is SQL Server. Mm-hmm. And so the other thing that I'm announcing here is that in addition to having an ASP.NET cloud launcher image that you can say, I want ASP.NET, we're going to have a number of SQL Server cloud launcher images as well. Wow. Various versions, various editions that you can say, I want SQL Server. We've got the licensing set up and, you know, there's a price model. It's the same way that we do it for Windows Server. And then you just say, I want a SQL Server and I want an ASP.NET. And then you can manage it from inside of Visual Studio and deploy and do all of the stuff just like you would normally do on any other ASP.NET and SQL Server endpoint, all running in the cloud. This is very cool, and, and I'm, I'm going to ask a question I asked. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but it, the, the whole idea came up of running a SQL Server in a Docker container or in a container in general, and I'm not sure that was a – I thought that was a good idea, and I have yet to be convinced that it's a good idea because the whole idea with containers is you they're like cattle. You, you spin them up, you spin them down. You spin them up, spin them down, whereas databases, you want to be permanent. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I mean, the idea of containers and in fact, you know, there's a whole thing that you have to worry about between stateful and stateless. Right. Right. In a, in a stateless world, whether it's a container or a VM, you can spin it up and spin it down. You don't have to update it. You can just say, here's a new one with the new bits and move forward. And the load balancer can take the old one out and put the new one in and you're fine. But when it comes to stateful services... Right. That's when you have to upgrade the scheme over time. You have to add new columns as you or tables as you do new uh, features in your programming. Right. You have to manage those. Needs to be permanent. Yeah. Yeah. We've got SQL Server so that you can put it on a VM and then update it and upgrade it and RDP into it. And it's yours. And you can have as many as you need for your loads. And again, this is in beta. So we're taking feedback in terms of, you know, have we got the right set of features? Have we got the right additions? What do you need from us? And again, it's just a first step. We have a roadmap of things that we know we're we're going to do more of over time because Windows.net, it turns out pretty important in the cloud world. Mm. Windows is a big part of the enterprise and it's a big part of the people that are busy moving their workloads to the cloud. And that includes both, hey, I've got some existing machines in my data center and I'd just like to virtualize those and put them to the cloud and we support that. As well as, I want to build some new things. I want to write new code in a new way. And for that, ASP.NET Core Right, running on a, inside of Docker and a, a, a Linux container running on the Google Cloud platform. And we've got a number of ways to do that, again, with, with Kubernetes, our mm. container engine, and with App Engine Flexible environment. You know, we support that whole range of how do you want to build and deploy your Windows and .NET code? Yeah. I wonder if we're headed towards a world now, seeing with Brendan going, getting involved with Microsoft that Kubernetes is going to run on the Azure cloud. Like, are we really talking about being able to have containers that simply float between clouds or run both so that you can fail between them? Or it just seems really interesting how tightly tied we are to each other now. 
Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, because as soon as you get into the container world and you start, you know, bundling up the set of services and App Engine is very much a here, take your code, whereas Kubernetes is very much, you know, give me a pod that I can replicate for you. And that pod is a right. set of related services, some of which you might be custom code, some of it might be, you know, Redis or Mongo or, you know, et cetera, right? That set of services that kind of go together and scale up and down together. So a pod could be more than one container. Absolutely. This is the whole idea. You get this environment together. That's right. Yeah. And, and this is very much the, you know, the, the way the industry has decided to build cloud Sure. Applications as microservices. Absolutely. Right? And so both App Engine and Kubernetes have fully embraced this idea of microservices. And that's how we build and have built things inside of Google for a decade. And if we made clear to the folks who are listening here, just the relationship between your code, Docker and Kubernetes, just that these things go together. Well, so let's, let's talk about that. So your yeah. code is, Hey, I've got some, you know, .NET core code. Right. Or I've got some Java code or I've got some Python code and I've built it as a set of services that stand up and talk to each other. And, you know, I, I test it either on my uh, most most likely I test it on my local machine and I'm happy with yep. it. And then I use Docker as a way to package and deploy it. Right. And the idea of Docker is you can get multiple of these microservices. Each one can be in a Docker container, but multiple of them on the same virtual machine. It's a way to take better advantage. You don't have to have a virtual machine for each microservice. On the other hand, with Docker, you don't also have to manage each one and whether they're going to step on each other because Docker yes. provides that degree of isolation. So it's it's a way to deploy. And so Docker is, this, is just a set of tools and a, and a file format for describing how we want to build these these containers, and then and then it's a runtime for setting up that isolation uh, environment in an easy way. And you can say, here, run my container, and it spins it up, running on an existing operating system. And this is a manifestation of that configuration as code mindset? Yeah, so the idea is it's the combination of your custom code um, mm -hmm. uh, and the configuration that says, here's the description of my cluster. Here's the description of my node. Here's how I want them to be replicated. Here's how I want them to communicate with each other. Because as soon as you start replicating pods, direct IP addresses don't make any sense because you don't want to talk to a hard-coded IP. So, you know, or even a, a domain name, that doesn't make any sense either. DNS is nope. too coarse-grained. You need to be able to say, hey, I want to talk to the Redis service on my pod. And I don't know what machine I'm running on. And I don't know what domain name, if any, that machine has. And, and in a lot of ways, I don't even care. That's right. Yeah, right. That's right. So you need a way to be able to say, I have a label. I want to talk to my Redis server and right. and then somebody else can figure out, oh, you know, what's the IP address uh, to talk to? And, and you don't have to think about that. That's cool. And then Kubernetes role is actually scaling the Docker containers and, and dealing with all of that stuff. Yeah, so the idea of Kubernetes is there's a cluster, and one node of that cluster is the Kubernetes master. And then the other nodes are just, these are all VMs. These are all virtual machines that are managed for you. Um, and then the idea of Kubernetes is it takes your container, or your pod, which is a collection of containers, and it schedules them across these nodes to make sure that you get the characteristics you need. Do you need a big node? Do you need a small node? Do you need a node all to yourself? Can you be multiplexed with other things? Yeah. 
And it's interesting because you asked about this idea of hybrid cloud, but you can absolutely imagine the idea of, hey, I want to run some of this on the Google Cloud and some of it on-premise, right? And in fact, Kubernetes is the wonderful way to kind of step into the cloud by, by you know, even if you want to stay on-premise, moving things to containers that run on-premise that make it so much easier. Then you flip the switch and say, oh, now once I've done that move, it's super easy to say, hey, I want to I want to go to Container Engine on, on Google's cloud or on a different cloud, right? Um, I want to be able to run containers on other clouds too. And once you move it to a container, as you mentioned, it's a lot more portable yeah. off of your data center. Some might say Kubernetes is sort of a fabric, right? I mean, I've heard that term used by Microsoft at least to, you know, sort of the underlying support structure to, you know, taking services up and down and managing things. That so the way we describe it is uh, it's an orchestration layer. Yeah. Right? It it does the the scheduling. Yep. Very cool. Yeah, and, and it makes a ton of sense too. Is Docker Swarm an alternative then to to Kubernetes? Kubernetes got out faster simply because we had, you know, so much more experience in that. Sure. Right. We were able to say, hey, Docker's great. We can, you know, use that as a way to get this this way of doing things out into people's hands. Are there alternatives to Docker too? Like should I be looking at something else? So for a while there was there was this idea of gosh, Docker has too this always happens, right? Oh, there's this new thing. Oh, we really love it. Oh, everyone's using it. Oh, it's not open in the ways that we want. There's only one company that's really controlling things. Right. Oh, you know, let's let's start the open source or the standards body based version of that. And that never really took off. It's just been Docker. So Docker hasn't made people angry enough for them to actually get an alternative working. Right. In some ways, that's really what it comes down to, right? Yeah. I mean, Node uh, mm. did make people angry enough, and it was forked, and people were moving to the fork, and eventually they had to give Node to a foundation, and yeah. then they brought everyone yeah. back together again, and it was a whole thing. That hasn't happened with Docker. There was some noise about it, but we still just use Docker. Okay. Well, Chris, we're almost done here. Is there any last-minute thoughts or, or calls to action? Sure. So as I mentioned, we're really announcing this, right? .NET rocks is the first time I've said most of this out loud. And, and you know, .NET and Windows developers, of course, the .NET rocks is a pillar of the community. And so I very much appreciate you guys letting me come on and doing my little commercial for GCP and .NET and Windows. It's only because we love you, man. Oh, I appreciate that, guys. <laughs> I very much do. It, it doesn't hurt that you're making awesome, by the way. Yeah, right. Oh, well, well, that's good to know. I like awesome. Awesome is <laughs> yeah. good. So if you want to read, I mean, we have the, the blog post that kind of takes folks through the set of features and how we expect folks to use it. I'd give you the, the URL and uh, I guess we can put it in the show notes. But if you just search for GCP blog, where GCP stands for Google Cloud Platform, mm -hmm. you'll find the blog, you'll find the blog post, you'll see it uh, talking about, you know, the Visual Studio and the libraries. And, you know, I can't believe I've waited till now to mention this. Huh. The chief architect on the cloud libraries. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the cloud libraries. So Google has more than 250 APIs across google.com. This is the location stuff and the map stuff and storage and just this huge number of services. And about 30 of those are Google Cloud platform related. And this is things like BigQuery and cloud storage and data store and, and those sets of technologies, right? So 
to get all of those APIs across all the languages we want, you know, .NET is just one of them. Right now, all of those libraries, you can get to every single one with .NET, and they're all available in NuGet. However, the code generation technology we use did not yield the most friendly libraries that you'd ever want to use. So you can use them, and there are samples. And they work, but they're not very fun to use. And we were hmm. worried that they were kind of holding people up in adopting the platform. Okay. So what we did was we, for every one of the big languages that make up the bulk of the use on our platform, we formed a language-specific team to go and understand the biggest cloud library users in terms of what the APIs people were using. And then we sat down and we figured out for each of these languages the right way to write those libraries in those languages so that when you sit down and write BigQuery or PubSub or Datastore using these new libraries that we have handcrafted for folks, then it feels like running, um, writing real C-sharp and .NET code. So we have handcrafted that. And the chief architect of all of those libraries and making all of that wonder wonderful, or to use your phrase, awesome. Awesomeness. Building pure awesome is John Skeet. John Skeet! John Skeet is, I was able to talk him onto the engineering team to do all this. He's been at Google oh forever. Oh my God. He's been doing Java at Google. What a waste to Java for John Skeet. And he loves C Sharp. He loves C Sharp. And so it, I have to say, it wasn't very hard to talk him yeah. into doing this work. <laughs> yeah, no And kidding. now he has personally built up the cogen infrastructure that's better and then is personally building with his team in london this much nicer much more pleasant set of libraries uh for net developers and we've got an initial set of five but we've got plans f to cover uh all of the google cloud platform libraries with these libraries awesome that's great, Chris. I'm so glad you guys are there on the job and, and uh, making the world a better place for us. Well, that is kind of the job. You know, I was telling you about that 23 years in Windows. Almost 100% of that was all about making developers' lives better. Absolutely. And now at Google, I'm just doing the same thing because that's what I care about. That's what I like to do. Awesome. Chris, thanks very much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. My pleasure. And by the way, I'll have you know, I am wearing pants. Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> so are we today. <laughs> we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.